0: Hi, this is Nick Lannon, pastor of Grace Anglican Church. At the very beginning of this class on Noah's Nakedness and Ham's Sin by Michael Neal, there's some interference on the recording. Don't turn off the class though. Uh, the interference clears up after about three and a half minutes. I encourage you to stick with it. I know you'll find the class totally worth your time. So, with that, I'll turn it over to Michael. Noah's Nakedness and Ham's Sin. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you so much for this time that you've given us to come here and worship you and to be served by you and fed by you at your table. I pray, Lord, that uh, we will be edified as we study your word today and that we will be honored in this in Christ's name, Amen. Okay. So, it's good to be back. Uh, today we're going to look at. Uh, Genesis 9, or a portion of Genesis 9, we won't look at the entire chapter, uh, and we're going we're gonna to focus on two things, Noah, Noah's nakedness, what is Noah's nakedness, and then what in the world did Ham do to Noah? And so this is not entirely unrelated from the last um, talk we had from Micah, which was about sex, because this is going to be a lot about sex. Um, as you might already know, you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know, uh, you see uncovering nakedness and see nakedness and things like that are typically associated with sex. So there's going to be a lot of sex talk. Um, but this isn't going to be good sex. This is going to be um, an illicit version of, of sex. And um, But this is a super, in my opinion, interesting topic. So um, here's sort of the resource for this, the background, this, um, I'm basically going to be walking us through the main, you know, the thrust of the argument in this, uh, article from the Journal of Biblical Literature. It's Noah's Nakedness and the, uh, and the Curse of Canaan. John Bergsman, Scott Walker Hahn wrote this article and it was published in 2005. You can find it online. Uh, it's a really, really, really interesting article it's very readable too. They don't transliterate the Hebrew. I wish they would do that. It makes it easier for someone like me. But, you know, you can still, you know, with a little bit of work, pay attention to what's going on and follow the argument and stuff through the paper. So, um, that's what this conversation is going to be based on, um, their interpretation of Genesis 9. So, uh, let's, I want to just go ahead and read this text and I'll probably stop and point out a few things here and there and um, and then we'll kind of get into the, the argument of the paper. So um, Genesis 9, verses 18 through 29, this is going to be from the ESV. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Okay, so the, I'm going to pause really quickly to mention something. You've got three sons of Noah mentioned. Ham is specifically it out here as the father of Canaan, okay? The other two sons, their descendants are never mentioned in Genesis 9, okay? And that, that's important, um, at least not in this way. Uh, I don't think they are later on. No, they're not. So, um, so that's the first instance of Ham being called the father of Canaan. Keep that in mind. It's important. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people... And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, again, the father of Canaan, that's the second instance of that, pointing out he's the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked back and uncovered the nakedness, excuse me, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. So he cursed Canaan, Ham's son. He did not curse Ham, just to keep that in mind. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. All right, so that's our text, all right? Um, So, the question comes: what in the world... And what did Ham do? So when it says that, um, where are we here? I know it better if I'm looking. at. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. What, what happened here? What does this mean that Ham saw the nakedness of his father? Okay, that's what we're going to be exploring. So there are a few different views on this. One is uh, the voyeuristic view um, that Ham just literally looked upon. Noah's nakedness, and basically then went outside and ridiculed him, made fun of him to his brothers in some way. Another view, and this is probably the most popular view, is the, what uh, scholars will call the paternal incest view, and that's just the view that, as you could imagine, uh, it's paternal incest. Cain and Noah had sex with one another while Noah was drunk, and some people will say, like, uh, uh, Ham, I said Cain, didn't I? Yeah. Excuse me, Ham had sex with Noah while Noah was drunk. And um, some people will say that Ham actually raped Noah. So, and that's not a crazy, that's not a crazy reading of the text. Hopefully, I'll be able to convince you of. But uh, um, then there's another view that we're going to talk about, and that's going to be the view of the authors of this paper, that it's Ham didn't actually have sex with Noah. But something sexual did happen. It just wasn't with Noah, and we'll get to that. And that's going to be this something else, that third view, okay? All right. Um, All right, so the voyeuristic view. Um, Why even think this view is correct? Well, I mean, generally people say, well, it seems faithful to the text because it says Ham saw the nakedness of his father, right? So he saw it. He, He looked upon it, and then he went and told his brothers. And and the, this sort of strong, patriarchal kind of society, this isn't what you do. You don't go look at someone's nakedness and then go make fun of them about it, especially not your father, someone who's a head and authority over you. You don't do this. Um, so it's, that's not a crazy idea, but there are some things that it doesn't do. So there's a, a couple of problems with it. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this view because I want to get into these others. But one problem people will point out is that, look, there's... There's no indication in Scripture or in the ancient Near Eastern context that suggests that merely seeing someone naked is bad. If you happen to glance, especially like a passing glance, you see someone, it's not necessarily the case that it's bad. There's not lots of biblical support for this, and there's not support outside of the the Hebrew Scriptures in the ancient Near Eastern context, you know, which is the culture in which these Scriptures were written. So um, that... That seems like a problem. We'd want more biblical support for this idea. Just to see someone naked is is wrong and sinful. Um, I do think you can say some things in favor of that idea, but it's not super strong. Um, The next problem is that the text doesn't indicate directly, nor via literary device, as far as I could tell, that um, Ham uh, actually went and made fun of Noah. It just says that he went and told his brothers outside. It might mean that he made fun of him or ridiculed him in some way, um, and it maybe it is that that just you know mentioning this kind of thing in their society was uh, problematic. But a lot of times, people go further and say, "Well, he made fun of him, ridiculed him." The text doesn't tell us that. If you want to stick closely to the text, you know, like people will say, then you can't really take this. You? Yes, is the ridicule that he was naked or drunk or both? People will go back and forth about that. They they all of the above, plus some. Yeah. So uh, Oh sorry, thank you, George. I'm glad you said that because I'm supposed to repeat these questions. So uh for the recording, um uh Rob asked uh what what's the nature of the ridicule? Is it that he was naked, was it that he was drunk? And yeah, it would be both plus some probably. Yeah, that's what people generally say. Um, you know, probably involving things like, look, he's not fit to to lead and so on. I don't know. Um, but the third problem, this view doesn't take into account the idiomatic phrases seeing nakedness and uncovering nakedness, which pop up in the broader biblical uh, context of this passage. And so we're going to take a look at that. Because remember, um, the text says that Ham saw Noah's nakedness, Okay. Um, that phrase, to see someone's nakedness in the various forms that it, it comes up, uh, that, that come up in Scripture, um, it, it's, it's an idiom. It, it, it's something that if you're embedded in the Hebrew culture and language, you're going to understand. Like if I, to give you an example, um, if I say, you know, it's raining cats and dogs, like this is, just, this is what an idiom is, just, for, just to say this, I guess, so we're clear what we're talking about. Um, if I say it's raining cats and dogs, you're not going to be able to take the constituent words that make up that phrase, do a word study on them, and understand what I'm trying to tell you, right? Because you're, you're, if you do that, and especially if you're very wooden about it, you're going to think, oh, like cats and dogs might be falling from the sky or something. But that's not what I mean, obviously, right? Just like when someone says, hey, <laughs> this one, Whitney gave me this one, Netflix and chill, right? Um, so that makes sense. So... Uh, if someone says, hey, you want to Netflix and chill tonight, like, that is an idiom, an idiomatic uh, phrase or expression for, hey, you want to come over and have sex. (laughs) That's what that means. Well, the Bible has these phrases, um, and they are to see someone's nakedness is to have sexual relations with that person, or to uncover someone's nakedness is also another idiomatic phrase that means to have sex with that person. I mean, you know, this makes sense, or to lie with a person, right? Um, And there's all kinds of we're going to look at passages where we see this very obviously come out. So um, the, the main, one of the, I think the main problem with the voyeuristic view, this third problem, is that it doesn't take into account that this idiomatic phrase, see nakedness, is used in Genesis 9. Okay? So um, that leads people into adopting this view, which, which is called the paternal incest view. And this is just the view that Ham had sex with Noah while he was drunk. And then went and told uh, his brothers about it, okay so let I want to start by trying to motivate this theory. like why would people even begin to think that Ham had sex with Noah? and so scholars will go through and point out that in genesis nine you Genesis nine is a, a passage that's sort of shot through with sex imagery and language, even though it may not appear like uh, appear as such at first so Here's how we get some of this. Procreation is an important part of the context of Genesis 9. And we know this because uh, Noah is a new Adam, and he's given the same command that Adam and Eve were given, he and his family are, to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Actually, they're told that Noah and his family are told this twice, in, in uh, 9.1 and then again in verse 7. You have to multiply upon on the earth, okay? And look, God, Noah's the new Adam, right? God uncreated the earth in the flood, and then the waters go down, dry land appears, they end up on a mountain, right? And we already talked about how Eden was on a mountain, probably. Um, and, uh, and then they're given this, in this new creation, they're given this mandate to fill the earth, right? Okay, so you've got Noah as a new Adam here. Now, Um. And then also in verse 19, it says that they did populate the earth. Remember the passage where it said that uh, all the nations of the earth came from uh, Noah's sons, right? So they fulfilled this this mandate to uh, multiply upon the earth, okay? So a necessary precondition for multiplying and filling the earth is sex, okay? So you have to keep that in mind. So people are, these scholars are saying, oh, well, procreation is an important part of uh, Genesis 9 that that necessarily involves sex, and and sex is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's given by God. So um, that's part of the context here. So we already see some of this sex imagery if we're reading sort of underneath the text in a way. And then um, the authors point this out. They say the next thing that's brought up is, after talking about the nations being dispersed and stuff and sort of getting into... Noah, who he is, what he did, and what Ham did to him, is talk about a vineyard and wine. And this is what they say about that. The wine is often in Scripture related to sex, and sometimes it's good sex, and sometimes it's an illicit version of sex. And we'll get to that in just a minute, because there's another instance of this in Genesis. So they point out this. This is what I'm going to just read from them. They say, the Song of Songs is replete with images of wine as a symbol of sexuality and strikingly the vineyard as a place of lovemaking. The drinking of wine functions as a prelude to intercourse in the Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 2, and in the dealings of David with Uriah the Hittite, 2 Samuel 11. Uriah refuses to go home where he would, quote, drink and lie with his wife. So David gets him drunk in the hopes that he would dispense with his scruples and return to enjoy his spouse, which he does not do, by the way. Um, So here... They're just pointing out that you have a vineyard. It's, a, it's other places in Scripture. You see this is a place of love making. Wine is often associated with sex. Here's another sort of sexual undertone in Genesis 9, okay? Now, um, another thing they point out is that the only Noah's drunk in this passage, right? And they say, look, if you fast-forward just 10 chapters to the story of Lot in Genesis 19, Lot um, gets drunk, and he has sex with both of his daughters, okay? And that's an illicit sexual union that results in the births of two different people, Moab and Ammon, who are the fathers of people who eventually become enemies uh, uh, enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites, okay? Just think about that for a second. You've got a patriarch in Genesis in Lot who has incest, commits incest with his daughters. He's drunk while he does it and it results in the birth of a child two, two in fact, who become the enemies of Israel. Now, let's take a step back, you know, 10 chapters back into our passage in Genesis 9, and what do we have? We've got Noah, according to this view, uh, Ham having sex with Noah. Now, Something, if it's going to resemble Genesis 19, where's the offspring? Now, a homosexual union doesn't, this is going to be a problem for this view, so I'm sort of, you know, telegraphing this a bit, but a homosexual union doesn't produce children, and we all know that, right? So, but yet, it's mentioned multiple times that Ham is the father of Canaan. So I want to leave you with that. And remember, Canaan, right, is going to be where the Canaanites ultimately come from, okay? So keep that in mind, but who, again, are an enemy of Israel, okay? I just want to leave you with that for a second. But nonetheless, so here's more of this sexual imagery. You have drunkenness um, in Genesis 19, and that drunkenness is the only other instance of drunkenness mentioned in the book of Genesis, and it involves incest, okay? But heterosexual incest, that's important. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Um, Yeah, I will. I'll say something briefly about it. I can't help myself. I got time. Um, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. um, Worth reading. Verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The passage deserves um, a talk all on its own, I think. But, um, I just, the, why, I, why I'm going to mention it here is this, is that a lot of commentators see that Genesis 6 through 9 are kind of a standalone unit in the text, and it's interesting because if that's, if that's true, what you have is you have a, um, bookends to this section that both involve sex. You have it opening with an illicit sexual act that grieves God, right, and... Um, if you keep reading Genesis six, you see that it opens with an illicit sexual act that grieves God. The sons of uh, the sons of God uh, having relations with the daughters of mankind or man, right? That, that's not a good thing. If you pay atten- close attention to Genesis six, you see that. And then you have this ending part uh, the, of, of this, this section in scripture in Genesis nine that it ends with an illicit sexual act of some kind. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and when I say interesting, I mean like it's interesting because that means the, the authors of Genesis are, they're, it's, it's, this is a piece of literature. They're telling us something, like, you know, um, so that's not an accident. Um, so just keep that in mind. I'll skip this fourth point. It's not super important right now, but um, so here's where we sort of get into what I would call sort of the heavy lifting for, for this view. Um, this is, where this, the paternal incest view becomes more plausible. And that's when you begin to see that these phrases, to see one's nakedness, to uncover one's nakedness, are idiomatic phrases, right, or expressions um, that mean to have sexual intercourse with. So there's a little bit of work to do. Um, you have to, we have to say, we have to show that to see someone's nakedness is uh, equivalent to uncovering that person's nakedness, Right? So that's the first move in the argument. You you make an equivalency between these two phrases, and that is to say that they are they, they, used to refer to the same thing, or so they mean the same thing. Um, and then we're going to look and see where um, what does it mean to uncover someone's nakedness, right? So so we'll, we'll and I've got this laid out a little more clearly here in another slide. So just bear with me. This. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the that is the 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 thing that I think is uh, can be said in favor of the voyeuristic view that that uh, you could say, well, look, and just like you did, Adam and Eve covered themselves, so um, there is some sort of taboo upon looking at a naked body, you know. Uh, but uh, I do think there's something to be said about that. But there's more going on in the text in the text than just that. But uh, anyway. Okay, that's good. I mean, it seems to me there are. I mean, there is, but go ahead. Sorry, Doc. So what I'm doing is I'm laying out a view I don't necessarily agree with, but I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, if I'm going to disagree with someone, I want to know what they're saying. You don't want to disagree with the character of someone's argument. You want to disagree with their argument, you know, and so that that's that's why we're doing this. I'm not saying, of course, and even with what we, we ultimately conclude here, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'd buy into it 100% myself, I still have lots of questions, you know, I wouldn't buy, I don't say I buy into it without skepticism on some level, but, um, but I think we do, we will get to a richer understanding of the text by the time we're, we're finished, I could say that, so, um, but yeah, so um, to echo what Doc was saying, um, these are euphemisms or, or idiomatic expressions uh, to have sex with, that's just, that's just what they are in the Hebrew language, to see someone's nakedness and to uncover someone's nakedness. That's what they mean. Um, at least we have good reason to believe that's what they mean. I'll say that. So, and here's, I'm going to point to some places in the Bible itself where we see this, okay? So let's take Leviticus 20, verse 17. This is out of the ESV. If a man takes his sister and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace so here's, it's speaking against seeing nakedness, right? But it goes on to say more. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness and he shall bear his iniquity. So the significance of this particular passage for their, for this argument for the paternal incest view is that it makes an equivalency between uh, um, uh, the phrase sees her nakedness and uncovers his sister's nakedness, right? So the two phrases are used um, uh, basically, synonymously—that's what I'm trying to get at. Does this make sense? Okay. So now the next step is to say, well, what does it mean to uncover someone's nakedness? Well, let's look at that. Ezekiel 16:35 through 38, and this is again from the ESV. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord: Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore behold, I will gather all of your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated, and I will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as a woman, as, a, as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged, and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy." What I want to point out from this passage, there are other clearer passages, but of course, if I point you to those now, then it's going to sort of like let the cat out of the bag on what the third view is. And I'm trying to hold off on that. Um, but what I want to point out, though, is in this passage is that it's we. this is obviously language related to having sex, right? It says, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered, your your lust is poured out and your nakedness is uncovered in your whoring, so in the, in the actual... Sex itself, that's where the nakedness is uncovered. Ezekiel 16 is, is telling us that, okay? All right. Um, the, so, yes, some commentators say that um, this is an, uh, an instance of sexual violence. That God is basically saying he's going to do the uncovering. He's going to expose you to these people, like, um, and they're going to have their way with you, Israel. You wanted them, now they're really going to have their way with you. And the, he also includes in this passage... Um, those you love, and also those you hate, or those you hated. He's going to include them in the people who uncover Israel's nakedness. Um, So God's not playing around with them. He's ticked off, essentially. Um, So it's these considerations, the procreation, um, which necessitates having sex, uh, the vineyard and wine imagery that's often connected to sex, um, and, of course, the, this here, just understanding what the phrase to see one's nakedness and to uncover one's nakedness means in the Bible. These considerations lead um, many scholars to reject the voyeuristic interpretation that Ham simply saw Noah naked, um, and instead that Ham had sex with Noah, okay? Because, that, again, it's just what these phrases mean, all right? All right, that's what they say, um, and I think they're probably right about those phrases. That's right. That's right. Um, again, I mean, and it makes sense because the conservative, I mean, why would a conservative scholar have a problem with affirming paternal incest here when paternal incest, if that's in view, it's condemned because Noah curses it. It's not a good thing. It's definitely not seen as a good thing. So they see no no conflict with some other, you know, ethical, you know, commitment they have as Christians. But um, So here's what, there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts there. So I tried to lay out the argument and what, you know, philosophers would call standard form, roughly. So the first premise is this, that seeing someone's nakedness is to uncover that person's nakedness. The evidence for that view is Leviticus uh, 20.17, okay? That's that's one reason to believe that premise is true. Um, Premise two, Ham saw Noah's nakedness. We have reason to believe that because Genesis 9.22 tells us that. Premise three, therefore, Ham uncovered Noah's nakedness. And that, that conclusion just follows from the first two premises. If those premises are true, that third uh, intermediate conclusion or that third premise is also true. Um, premise four, uncovering one's nakedness is to have sexual intercourse with that person. We saw that in Ezekiel 16, right? It was her, Israel's nakedness was uncovered in her whorings. So in the sexual act where is where her nakedness was uncovered. So premise five, we call this the conclusion, the final conclusion. Therefore, Ham had sexual intercourse with Noah. So Ham uncovered Noah's nakedness. To uncover one's nakedness is to have intercourse with that person. So Ham had intercourse with Noah. That's roughly the argument of the paternal incest view. Does that make sense? I wanted to just kind of do that as a summary and lay it out. Now, um, this is the third view. And um, this is the one I think is probably more plausible because I think there's more biblical evidence for it. Um, and that is the maternal incest view. So basically this view takes what the paternal incest view uh, does, that the phrases to see one's nakedness and to uncover one's nakedness actually mean to have sex with that person, but it applies that concept, that action, to the right type of person. And that is it applies it in the context of a heterosexual sexual act, not a homosexual sexual act. And when you buy into this idea, it begins to like, it has some explanatory power for some other things we see in the text. And I'll try to get at what I mean by that. So, uh, uncovered nakedness is almost always used in the rest of the Bible to refer to a heterosexual sexual union. Further, we see very explicitly in other places in Scripture that to uncover your father's nakedness, and Noah is Ham's father, is to have sex with his wife. If you uncover, uncover your father's nakedness, you could do that in a few different ways, uh, two different ways. One would be to actually have sex with him. Another would be to have sex with his wife. Okay? Deuteronomy 20, 27, verse 20. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife and lies with is just another phrase for has sex with because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. You lie with your father's wife, you uncover your father's nakedness. Deuteronomy 22, 30 a man shall not take his father's wife so that he does not uncover his father's nakedness. And to take his father's wife means to have sex with, in this case. Um, and even if you say, no, it means marriage, they go together, but especially in the ancient world. Um, okay, now, here's a, probably the most explicit passage on this, Leviticus 18. Now, I want you to keep in mind a couple of things. If we go to Genesis 10... Genesis 10 lists the sons of Ham. Two of the sons of Ham are Egypt and Canaan, right? And Canaan in Genesis 9 is the son who is cursed, okay? Leviticus 18, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, Egypt, one of Canaan's sons, or one of Ham's sons, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of... Canaan, to which I am bringing you, you shall not walk in their statutes, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And immediately it goes into, none of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. And it goes on and on with this, talking about sisters, grandchildren, aunts, and so on. But every instance of this, uncovering nakedness, always refers to a heterosexual sexual union. So the conclusion then is that Um, Ham, by uncovering or by seeing Noah's nakedness, uncovered Noah's nakedness. And by uncovering Noah's nakedness, this means that he had sex with Noah's wife. Maybe it was his own mother, but we don't know. Either way, that, that seems to be the conclusion of this argument. Does this make sense? Okay. Now, so what are some virtues of this particular theory? One, it accounts... For the use of those idiomatic phrases, it, it says, "Okay, these are what these fra- these phrases mean. This we know this from good biblical exegesis, um, and we're going to use these phrases as they're meant to be used, or understand them as they were meant to be understood." It applies these phrases rightly in that it's there's there's more reason to believe that these phrases apply to heterosexual sexual unions in scripture, okay? than, he- than homosexual sexual unions. That's the second virtue of the theory. A third. It provides an explanation for the curse on Canaan. Canaan is the offspring of the illicit union. This is what the authors say. I will tell you, I have a, I have a, a mild hang-up here with, with this, but I, this is what they say. Um, and then it accounts for the seemingly superfluous repetition of Ham was the father of Canaan. Right? So remember I pointed that out twice in Genesis 9. It's brought up Ham is the father of Canaan. Why? Because the other brothers... they're they're mentioned in the passage, but the authors don't seem to care, you know, who they're the father of, at least not in Genesis 9. But the author of Genesis 9 seems to be pretty concerned with Ham being the father of Canaan. And here's um, sort of a concluding uh, paragraph on this from the authors of this article. They say, if Ham's deed is understood as maternal incest, that is, he slept with Noah's wife, it becomes possible to explain Canaan's origin as the fruit of that union This insight suddenly illuminates two aspects of the text left unanswered by the paternal incest theorists. One is why Canaan is cursed, and two, why Ham is repeatedly identified as the father of Canaan. Canaan is cursed because his origin was a vile, taboo act on the part of his father. Ham is repeatedly and apparently superfluously identified as the father of Canaan because the narrator wishes to signal to the reader that this narrative explains how Ham became the father of Canaan. Not just that he is. We know that from Genesis 10. Genesis 9, the author's saying, this is how this happened. This is how he became the father of Canaan. And when you connect this to Genesis 19, it seems really interesting that you've got an incestuous sexual union that's illicit. It's bad. Um, That results in the production of Canaan, an enemy of Israel, and also uh, and, and later in with the Moabites and the Ammonites, with that incestuous union. So um, don't think those are accidental, but uh, this is the first time I haven't gone all the way to 1145. So I'm finished. I'm sure there are lots of things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so the question is for the recording. I got to remember to do this. Um, Robbie asks, uh, which of the three of these views has basically the the, the most support in terms of scholars? And I, from my understanding, it's going to be the the, the second view, the paternal incest view. Um, now, because I'm not a biblical scholar and I have not spent a couple of years looking, you know, studying the field and particularly this passage, like I can't say if that's changed, but I think that's that's still the case. One of the things that, that I think is encouraging about all of this, if you really take this earthiness seriously and just the, the depravity that is depicted here, but it's we're saved from all of this, like or, or in light of all of this, through all of this, we are still saved. I mean, Christ came and... I mean, Lot is referred to in the New Testament as righteous Lot, a man who got drunk and impregnated his daughters. Like, that should be encouraging to us. None of us are beyond God's grace. So... Um yes, my hang up. Here's my hang up. Um, so in Genesis 9, verse 24, it says this when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. He pronounces the curse. I find it strange that the they the, the writer says that when he awoke from his wine, well, Canaan, if, if, it's, if the maternal incest view is true, and Canaan is the offspring of this illicit union, it stands to reason Canaan didn't just pop out right away. <laughs> he popped out a few months later, right? And so I, 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 think you can pro- I think you can provide an answer for this, and I think it involves a discussion about how some of the writers in Genesis compress chronologies, and, and, um, but that is that is something that gave me pause for the maternal incest view. I said, "Wait a second. Like he he that means that the writer's saying he didn't he didn't sort of awake from his wine until 9 months later." That's a weird expression, a weird way to put that. But that would be my biggest hang up with it if any, but I do think there's something we can say to combat that. But yeah. So, all right, well, thank you all so much. Thank you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Thanks.